0: This program is sponsored by Wilsey Asset Management. Welcome to your commercial-free, uninterrupted investment show. Sponsored by the SEC-registered investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brent Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts, Brent and Chase Woolsey.
1: Just about 8.02 on Saturday morning. Great to have you here this Saturday morning and every Saturday morning, talking about your money, your wealth, the economy, finances, all those important things to help you grow your net worth. And with me today is Chase uh, Woolsey. Good morning, Chase. How you doing? Good morning. Doing well. And did you have your last uh, football game last uh, last night or what?
2: Not the last one. The last one of the regular season. But uh, oh. yeah, it was good. Want to uh, beat RB and uh, want to share of the Palomar League title. So that was always a, a good time.
1: Well, congratulations! And you actually are the defensive coordinator for the J U V team, and I guess you guys did very
2: well this season. Yeah, I finished off the year nine and one, and outright won the league title. So that that was exciting.
1: Okay, no offers from colleges yet to go coach in the colleges yet, right? Like we can't lose you here at the asset <laughs> <Series> management. So
2: <laughs> no, I, I think I got one more year left in me for coaching.
1: It, it's it's a lot of time. It's a it's a big commitment, but it's pretty rewarding. I mean, uh, helping the kids and stuff, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I just enjoy being out there with a lot of the kids and. Um, it's a lot of fun. You get to build those relationships and, and you know, see the kids improve over time and both kind of um, in terms of life and also football, yep. but, yep. you and know, it, it's fun.
1: And, again, for those that don't know, you are the defensive coordinator for the JV team, uh, football team for Poway High, and the linebacker coach for the varsity team. So yeah. linebackers did well. I mean, you guys didn't give up too much?
2: Oh, uh, we, we – they actually – they beat us up pretty good. It was – I didn't think we played that well, but, um, you know, our, our – Linebacker, we had two. We're now down two linebackers. They both got hurt. Oh wow! um, I was unfortunate, but hey, you know, uh, next guy up is the mentality.
1: That's good. All right. Well, let's switch over to the uh, business side here. Let's talk about the uh, labor shortage, which uh, we know about. Uh, With all the job openings out there, the labor shortage is causing problems in many different sectors. Some of those sectors struggling the most include areas that were the hardest hit uh, by the pandemic. Even with increased wages, it appears workers still not enticed to come back to work. Uh, Hotels, for example, are currently employing 17% less workers than before the pandemic, but paying an average wage that is 13.3% higher.
2: And, and the number of people working at restaurants and bars, another example, is down 7.6% compared to before the pandemic. But hourly pay, gosh, it's up 12.7%. And, you know, uh, my younger brother works at a restaurant. He works at the OG's in Carmel Mountain. And, you know, he loves it there. And right. I love OG's. They, they do a great job there. Just, uh, you know, if you haven't been, I highly recommend it. But I bring him up because he's like, gosh, I made, you know, a couple hundred bucks the other night. And, and tips. tips. And, you know, he, and I'm like, Wow, you're making like over $20 an hour at some yeah. point. I, mean, I I'm in shock, you yeah. know, and it's it is what it is. I mean, people are making more money in these areas, but it still isn't enticing people. And, you know, and the restaurants in particular has led to inflation at restaurants as meals were 7.3% more expensive in September than they were in February 2020. Uh, again, another area that we're seeing that key word inflation. Now, this has led to more reliance on technology as business investment in information processing equipment rose 16% in the year through June. And this compares to investment in this area growing at an average of 4% annually over the last decade. I mean, that's four times what we've seen in the last decade. And and uh, we hear it all the time. These restaurants say, I can't find the workers. So I, I know another particular restaurant they still haven't opened up inside, not because of the COVID rules, but because we don't have the capacity in terms of our workforce to take on that kind of, uh, you know, uh, consumption. Right, right. And,
1: and and again, you talk about the higher price at restaurants. I, I've seen that. You, you, you go to lunch now with uh, two or three people like. Wow, it's over $100 now. I mean, it, it is more expensive. And, that, again, they've got inflation costs on their food. They have uh, higher wages they have to pay to get people in there. Uh, funny story, last night we are at a charity event last night at the U.S. Grant, and my fiancée, Christina, we, she goes, well, I want to get a nicer thing of tequila. So we went across the way, and uh, she goes, do you have some nice tequila? He goes, yeah, well, we'll try this one. She did. Well, she tried it, and then are like, oh, that's good, so let's have it. I got the bill. It was $91 <laughs> for, oh, for one shot. Like, oh, wow. <laughs> so, no wonder it was good. I, I go, slow down on that one. I'll, all right? Make that last the whole night. But, uh, and again, I mean, that's the extreme. But still, you are seeing, you know, wine. A you know, glass of wine is now not, you know, 8 or $9. It's now 13 or $14 for a glass of wine. I mean, it's just things are going up.
2: I mean, yeah, when I go out to dinner with my fiance, it's... It's shocking if you get out of there with drinks under $100.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I mean, you put the drinks in there and stuff. So, and again, it's not their fault. They're not gouging no, people. No. They just have to pass on. And this is what the government doesn't understand is that when you raise the price of labor, it has to be passed on to the consumer. Yeah, it, I, yeah it's yeah. just an economic thing.
2: Yeah. Oh, well, the business. Oh, sorry. Yeah, we're, we're not going to pass on prices. We're just going to lose money. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant.
1: Yeah, that, that's why I said I, w- I wish that the uh, government, uh, to be, be in Congress, was a requirement to have a degree in uh, business or economics. But, you know, they all have a law degrees, I think, or a lot of them do. So, uh, anyways. Polly Side. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's, let's talk about uh, September 30th, the fiscal year. Uh, I'm not sure how we can continue to hear about spending trillions of dollars when it was just released that the deficit for the fiscal year ending September 30th came in at $2.8 trillion. That was the second largest since 1945, only preceded by the previous year of $3.1 trillion.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is just not the time to be spending money on on feel-good programs. I mean, I hate to say it, but uh, after coming through the pandemic, this should be a time to rebuild the financial balance sheet of the U.S. government. And I want to be clear here. I I do think there are programs, and somebody commented on on our social media saying, oh, well, what about when is the time? And I said, there are programs. I mean, broadband. I think that is very important because, number one, it is an investment in infrastructure that I think improves this country. But, number two, it's an investment that I think can really produce results as more people can become more efficient. So I think that's a great return on investment. Right. But on some of the other items in the bill, I, I don't see how it can have a monetary improvement in terms of our GDP over the longer run. So I, I think there's a lot of, as we mentioned, feel-good programs that, that are, quite frankly, a waste of money. Yeah. I, I think there are things that we can invest in, but, y, you know, you talk about a build that was th- over $3 trillion at one point, that, that doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, and
1: I'm glad to see it is coming down. I still think we should spend virtually nothing on some of these programs. Some are good. I mean, again, they got the infrastructure program. Very important to spend on that.
2: Even that has other things in there that, that are, I think, a waste of money, but there's yeah. a compromise. Compromise, right. Yeah. You're not, I mean, Democrats, Republicans, you're not going to get everything that you want. That's just the reality. Right,
1: right. But some of those things that were in that I can't think of anything that comes to mind right now are kind of silly in uh, the amount they spend on it. And, and, and taking it down to the personal level, when you've gone through a difficult time and your debt has gone up, you know, dramatically, well, you say, okay, well, now i got to pull back to pay off this debt. You don't say. Oh well, let's spend more because it's it's okay. It's okay that my credit card is now you know fifty thousand dollars.
2: My credit card's maxed out. Well, good thing I have another one I can go <laughs> max out. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. The wise this is. You want me to pay that down? Same thing with the government. So again, I am for helping people out and uh, trying to do the right thing to grow our country. But there are times to do it. I, I just again, we can't let that debt continue to grow because it will be a problem. So uh, we'll see what happens. To that also at uh, around eight fifteen or so, we're gonna be talking to a Dan McAllister. Now, he is the San Diego County uh, Treasurer Tax Collector. He's going to be calling in here just about to, uh, 8.15. I'm going to talk about because that time for paying taxes, property taxes, is coming up. Uh, before we do that, I do want to talk about uh, Tesla. Uh, well, the craziness is back. Uh, I'm sorry to say it, but Tesla moved uh, approximately 13% on Mondays, continue to move up a little bit after that. It was announced the company will supply Hertz with 100,000 rental cars, this would deliver about $4 billion in revenue for the company. Yet the stock added about $114 billion to its market cap on the news and has now joined the $1 trillion market cap. Oh my gosh.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a club of only a few companies. It's not as if there's, you know, hundreds of companies that are worth a trillion dollars. It's, it's absolutely insane,
1: uh, but kind of looking... <laughs> <laughs> And that, and that comes from our wonderful
2: uh, Brendan here helping us out with what this is. <laughs> uh, again, not a fan of Tesla from Brendan over there. But for reference, as a reminder, GM has a market cap of just around $80 billion. So Tesla's one-day move on the Hertz news was more than the entire market cap of GM. I <laughs> oh, that's mean, that, right. yeah. that is absolutely insane. And, I mean, uh, a research analyst named Craig Irwin at, at Roth Capital Partners Also points out that the more than one trillion dollar market cap equals the market cap for pretty much the entire auto industry. (laughs) How does that make sense? Yeah. And Tesla will produce less than one million vehicles in the next year, while the rest of the auto sector, (laughs) gosh, I'm laughing over here, will produce around 75 million. Can someone explain how this is even somewhat justifiable? (laughs) I mean, that is 75 times. More than what Tesla's gonna produce. Yet Tesla's worth the entire auto industry. And I had I, I mean, people just amaze me when they justify Tesla. They say, oh, no, PEs and book value. No, that's not how you value Tesla. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, please tell me how you value a company. A business. A business. Yeah. No, that is exactly how you value a business. And I saw somebody too, they they commented saying, oh, well, now this Hertz deal is going to allow people to drive Teslas and see how much they love Teslas so they can go buy a Tesla. No! If you want a Tesla, everybody knows if they want a Tesla. It just blows me away. No, that does not make it worth over a trillion dollars. That is not justifiable by any means. I think Tesla is one of the biggest bubbles we've seen in our history.
1: And, and you know, and you say, well, how can people justify it? I, I was uh, at an event on Thursday night, and I was talking to this guy who's very intelligent, very intelligent, and he owns Tesla. And, and I was kind of saying, and I gave him these numbers, and he goes, yeah, he goes, but they have Elon Musk. They have uh, the satellite, uh, what, what's that called? The uh, I want to say Blue Origin, but that's not uh, Tesla's.
2: They don't have SpaceX. Uh,
1: what do they have? They've got.
2: Well, Elon Musk has SpaceX. But oh,
1: that's right. But it's not part. It's of not this. part of Tesla. Well, yeah. Okay. So he kind of got that. Yeah. That that's right. So that is a different thing. So and
2: I know Te- uh, <coughs> Elon Musk also has. I think it's called the Boring Company. But that's, that's not an part underground of, tunnel. Right. But it's Elon Musk. It's not Tesla.
1: So it's not part of Tesla. Tesla, Tesla has. Tesla does have though the solar. Sol- solar. But
2: that's been a huge disappointment. I right. would say. It doesn't even show up in terms of their financials.
1: And, and Chase, this is what happens. uh, And this happened in the tech boom and bust where people would come up with these reasons for things and so forth. And there is no fundamental reason. Again, we point out very good reasons uh, that it's worth more than the entire industry but yet is 175th of the car is produced. It just makes no sense. But people justify it. And they will go out. And it's a – it's a gambling chip right now. So that, that's what it is. And the more that it buys, the, the, the more people buy it. The more that it goes up. And the more it goes up, the more people buy it. That will change. And when it changes and people say, yeah, but you've been wrong on Tesla for a long time. Well, you know, I have been wrong on Tesla. But it doesn't mean you do the wrong thing to get the right result. You do the wrong thing. You will eventually get burned on that. And the thing is, I I, I hate to say it. And then Tesla, I, I say it's a great car company. It it, it is It is worth some dollar amount. And it'll be worth more in the future based on those real valuations. But you do not go out and spend. What is it now? Thousand dollars a share. Yeah. And 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 uh, it, it's just it, it's very frustrating for me because I know I've seen this happen before in history many many times. It's going to happen again. The little guy that has all this, he's going to lose on it. How can they lose on it? Because it might drop. Twenty, maybe twenty-five percent. Oh, great! This is time to get back into more. This is a buying opportunity, and then it falls another 25 percent. Oh, man, this is even better! Before they know it, they've lost most of their money. They gained because they kept buying at higher prices, thinking it was a deal. They, you don't know what the value is. Something there was, there was a uh, a saying in the the industry years ago: the broker know the a broker knows the price of everything and the value of nothing. Well, that's happening now with a lot of investors who are new to investing and they've got all this money. They know the price of everything uh, but the value of nothing, and it really burns you down the road because this will come back to the norm.
3: Yeah.
2: I, I mean, I just it blows me when people say, oh, well, you know, Tesla's not a car company. Right. What do you mean it's not a car company? <laughs> I, I want to drive a Tesla. Oh, that's a car. <laughs> yeah, It's a technology company. Yeah. Okay, great. It's a technology company. It's priced way more than other technology companies at that point. I mean – there's no way to justify this and people come up with different ways. And I'm sorry, it is a car company. Yeah. It is not a technology company. Yeah. I mean well, it, it just yeah. it doesn't make any it sense. It
1: doesn't make any sense. And again, if you have Tesla, you made money out. congratulations. But it is not gonna continue on. And then the things well, and then we're gonna move on from this. And then like, oh Kathy R-
2: Oh, yeah. Kathy Wood Wood
1: runs the archival. Oh, it's gonna go three thousand dollars. That's the craziness. I, I how okay. How can you justify how that? How can you justify that? I mean, so it's three times, so now it's gonna be uh what three times the value of all the car companies combined and, and produce
2: and and we know gm in particular is trying uh, said they will have a larger market share in the ev market by 2025. yeah and they're they're very confident in that yeah so you have new competition coming in and what is everybody we said this with cisco years ago is everybody in the world going to drive a tesla I mean, I think we're almost getting to that point where everybody in the United States would have to drive a Tesla to make it make <laughs> more it than what over. it is. Yeah. yeah. I mean that's yeah. a very and I know uh, I'm over, buy one. over that's a very I'm over the, the top statement. To that. What's that, Brendan? I said I would be the last one to ever do that. <laughs>
1: I don't think you'd ever do it. I'll never do it. I'm sorry. I, I need my gas powered car. So. I won't do it because I hate the stock so much. <laughs> All righty. I do so we got some callers on the hold there. We're gonna put you on hold for a little bit longer. because, uh, again, this is a uh, you know, spooky time of the year, it's Halloween but also it's time when you start looking at paying your property taxes. And today we have Dan McAllister who has served San Diego County residents as a county's treasurer tax collector since 2002. He was reelected to his fifth term in June 2018 by an overwhelming 100% majority of the vote. Dan oversees the collection of more than $6 billion in property taxes each year, the management of over $12 billion in the county's investment pool, and the administration of the county's, over $1.5 billion defined contribution. Dan, thanks for joining us the show this morning.
0: Well, it's my pleasure. You do a lot of servicing for San Diego investors and I think you should be appreciated for that. Well, thank
1: you, Dan. We, we appreciate that and appreciate you taking the time to, to be here this morning. Uh, so we want to kind of, you know, again, uh, the, the tax election time is coming up. I think it starts, what? November. Uh, so November 1st, November 1st, you'll, you'll know these dates very well. I mean, you've been doing it for quite a while. Um, <laughs> So, so tell us, give us an overview of what's going on here uh, with the the tax collections.
0: Well, uh, tax collections are necessary parts of any good society. I think sadly, uh, it's, it's one of those things you have to pay, uh, to belong or to be part of things. And, uh, the real estate property taxes are one form of that. Uh, it's been going on for a long time. As you may know, uh, taxes everywhere, it seems. Uh, but uh, we have a duty uh, under the state constitution um, and the uh, revenue and tax code to collect property taxes twice a year. And uh, that first period of, uh, of uh, gifting, as we call it, the uh, two seasons of giving, are, are upon us. Uh, the first uh, beginning next week, uh, all the way through December 10th, uh, when if people pay after the 10th, we'll be given a, a hefty 10% penalty right away. Uh, and if it's um, allowed to be lingered or allowed to linger, it will go on even further, potentially, uh, up the ladder of more charges. Uh, people want to pay their taxes on time. They need to pay them on time. And I think it's important, too, that we talk about uh, a lot of the, the uh, special services that come about as a result of the property taxes uh, because these are uh, things that allow us to have – uh, good fire protection, good police protection, uh, the hospitals, um, libraries, uh, many of the things we revere and expect to have in a free society in our case gets paid through the property taxes.
1: And and Dan, one thing I've always wondered too, and I, 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 why is it that they, they do it in November and then just what three or four months later, why don't they do it like in six months? I've always wondered that just a quick question on that.
0: You know, uh, as long as I've been in this business, I've never gotten a straight answer out of anybody. Uh, <laughs> but the best uh, the best we can do is folklore, and folklore has it that uh, a long time ago, people uh, who were in power decided that the uh, taxes would best be collected before the holidays so people would have money to pay them if they mm-hmm. waited till after the holidays might not be the case. And then uh, so goes it with the spring collections whereby uh, taxes are due, five days ahead of the income taxes, the federal and state income taxes, by uh, April 10th. So that's the best I can do in terms of explaining why it is that way. Um, But it's something we abide by. Uh, It's something that obviously our taxpayers uh, know about. Uh, I was very pleased, uh, actually, to see, and I think we sent you material to talk a little bit about the fact that we had over a 99% collection rate this past year. We did not know going into the year before, in fact, because of COVID, what we would see in terms of collections. Uh, That year, two years ago, uh, we ended up dipping down to 98.65% of all taxes collected. And then we were back up over 99% this year.
1: And and, and Dan, do you remember going back to 2008, uh, 2009? Do you remember the collections were then as as a baseline there?
0: I don't have the number specifically, but uh, I know that there was chaos. uh, There was concern. uh, But we had a track record backwards from two years ago, six years, which showed us over 99%. So I think um, there was probably and likely a dip. Uh, It probably took us down a couple percentage points. Uh, But we've been trying hard to educate people on what these taxes are used for and how they're collected and how they need to be there. Uh, for the services that we, uh, again, as a free society, expect.
2: And I do see, too, Dan, it looks like we had a record year in uh, this last year for uh, the dollar amount. Did that just stem from higher property values? I mean, is that kind of why we're seeing that? Did it help that we had a higher collection rate? Well, why do we see that record level there?
0: Well, I think collection rate in, in uh, it, it plays a role in it, of course. But uh, I think more than anything else, uh, people – seldom understand uh, that part of Prop 13, which gives um, the abilities to uh, raise the property taxes by no more than 2% of the original 1% that we collect for um, the uh, uh, purchase prices. So, in other words, uh, uh, I think in only one instance since Prop 13 passed, uh, which was in 1978, uh, was there a situation where uh, the 2% went down and uh, into the negative territory. So there was no increase that one year. But ever since 78, it's gone up by 2% of the original 1% uh, purchase price.
1: And, and Dan, it looks like we collect, uh, not we, but you, <laughs> <laughs> collect yes. 1,004,808 bills uh, with a total value of what, $7.3 billion?
0: Yes. It's it's pretty (laughs) ominous. I mean, it's it's a huge amount of money. Uh, You mentioned the valuations. I think the valuations are going to kick in next year from the huge run up in the markets we've seen this year and last year uh, in terms of values and purchase prices. Because remember, these things don't get factored in until uh, everything is collected, sorted and uh, assigned uh, uh, where it should be on the totem pole of payments. And uh, I think that we're going to see a huge spike next year and the year after uh, as a result of uh, these values going out of sight, in many cases, uh, in the San Diego County market.
1: And, and Dan, you seem to have uh, been progressive as far as way to pay these now. I mean, you, you've used technology. You've kept moving forward. Can you explain for people how the best ways to pay their, their bills now?
0: Yes. We are big fans of e-check. E-check is a free service that if people go online, they can pay their property taxes free, no fees involved, uh, and get them in on time, get a dated receipt for it and a time of payment and confirmation that, in fact, they have paid. Uh, This year, and this was uh, an outgrowth, actually, of uh, the COVID uh, situation, um, our collections online were up 3.5% over where they were a year ago. And we attribute that a lot to the fact that our offices were physically closed for quite a few months, and we weren't able to service people at the counters as we have in the past. So people turned to uh, this new thing called e-check. It's been around actually for a number of years, uh, but 68% now of all property taxes in San Diego are paid online, uh, in some way, shape, or form.
2: Interesting. And, uh, <clears throat> excuse me.
0: Uh, I know. Uh...
2: Listed uh, four symposiums here. I thought that might be helpful for our listeners to learn more about it if you want to take a little time to explain those uh, symposiums for our listeners.
4: Oh, sure.
0: Um, What we uh, decided, and and I decided after I was elected in the first uh, go-around, was that uh, we were there to uh, be a a fiscal uh, um, helper, if you will, uh, and a helper to government agencies primarily throughout the region uh, who all have finance directors, who all have finance concerns, and who all look for a better MassTrap on a regular basis to do their work—a good, a good thing. And so, what we uh, evolved uh, was a series of um, conferences, many conferences, if you will, uh, that will help uh, some of the 200 different public agencies we bank for in San Diego County um, do their jobs better. So. Uh, it it uh, is interesting uh, to us to see what the needs are. We've broken it into four specific groups. Uh, first of all would be cash handling. Uh, almost uh, every business has a need for some sort of centralized and understanding of the processes uh, associated with cash handling. Either they're working uh, maybe in a school lunchroom where they have to make change every day. They might do ASB accounts in those schools there are 42 school districts in san diego county by the way Uh, they all have these same needs and we thought it was a service to enable them to study a little bit about the proper ways of cash handling and it's worked well uh other uh uh, seminars uh investment symposium uh we've got one coming up uh uh, uh, next week actually for um uh, primarily uh, government finance people uh but it's really uh how those numbers get used and how the dollars get used and invested uh, once they are brought in uh, on taxes or uh, elsewhere. Um, another would be the local agency debt symposium. Uh, the debt symposium uh, has been very, very helpful to a lot of our uh, school districts and others that handle uh, investments uh, such as issuing debt, meaning bonds. Um, the school districts um almost uh, always have some sort of number amongst those 42 uh, school districts in San Diego County of uh, entities that are issuing school bonds. And they could be for repairs of schools, they could be for building new schools, they could be for um, painting, uh, 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 earthquake prevention, uh, any number of things that uh, people don't have necessarily set aside ready cash to handle because they are large amounts of money. So. What the districts do is they issue bonds. Those bonds then are paid down over a certain period of time, as you know, and uh, uh, that's how those things uh, evolve. And the last one, which uh, is still a head-scratcher to me, but uh, we attract almost 400 people every year uh, for a fraud prevention and ethics seminar and symposium. Uh, This has become a very, very popular uh, seminar, I think. Uh, Because people want to do things the right way. Um, They want to prevent fraud. They want to prevent things that are harmful to their jurisdiction or their agencies. And we are there to bring them samples, examples, and speakers from around the country, including the FBI, the Treasury Department, U.S. Attorney's Office, uh, local law enforcement. uh, You name it, they're there. And what they do is they present case studies on how not to do business uh, more than uh, uh, sanctioning some of the things that have already occurred. And those four really are those things that we focus on on a quarterly basis, Uh, but they seem to have hit a home run with a lot of people. We're now attracting people from uh, um, different uh, counties around the state. Uh, Since we have the ability uh, to do these uh, seminars online, not only has our attendance increased, But its uh, its sphere of influence has increased as well.
1: And and Dan, how do people, if they want to sign up for these or go to these, attend these? How how do they do that?
0: Well, they're primarily resolved uh, used for uh, the end users uh, who are the school districts and the public agencies. Uh, um, And I assume we could probably accommodate a few uh, people from the public, um, but it's predominantly (laughs) for the people in those uh, um, agencies mm-hmm. uh, that we're trying to help improve the performance of uh, and therefore we focus on uh, participants from those 200 public agencies that we serve. Okay,
1: good. And, and then uh, lastly, I was wondering too, like the, I've always wondered this, I know people too as well, the tax allocation. Yeah. Where is this money going? How's it going? And, and how do you invest this money? What's going on with that?
0: Well, uh, first of all, let's talk about the investments. Uh, I think we learned, uh, we collectively uh, across the United States learned in 1994 with the bankruptcy of uh, Orange County, the largest single municipal bankruptcy in history at that time, uh, that it does not pay to uh, uh, enter into contracts or any kind of uh, purchasing uh, efforts at uh, high risk or even risky um, investments. Uh, Since that time, uh, the government, uh, the governor, uh, the legislature have passed um, different reforms which uh, forbid us from investing in equities, REITs, uh, individual stocks. And it basically uh, orders us not to invest in anything longer than uh, five years for a duration. Uh, And now you can understand, too, there's a bit of a dilemma now with the market. And uh, interest rates and uh, CDs, um, any number of fixed income instruments uh, are really featuring pretty low yields. Mm-hmm. But our mission is to keep our participants out of trouble by offering up uh, a pool of investments, which uh, is run daily uh, by qualified uh, investment professionals. Uh, we have a division that, uh, that actually works at that uh, most counties do throughout the 58 counties in the state of California. Uh, and it helps us to keep things in line. Uh, we have an independent uh, financial advisor who specializes in government work, um, uh, who uh, works with us on a regular basis uh, as we do an oversight committee, which was another outgrowth uh, growth of um, uh, the 94 bankruptcy. And that basically said we need members of the community And we need members from the administrative staff to all work together to ensure that no adverse risk uh, is being taken and that we are there not to knock the lights out on investments, but to preserve the capital so that it's there when the school districts or water districts or fire districts or cities need those monies.
1: So, Dan, so you can't, and, and again, you know our thing here on the Smart Investing Show is good quality equities, good business, and so forth. You're prohibited yes, from sir. doing that uh, for anything at all on, on any of the things that you guys manage, huh?
0: Well, there's two, two pools of investment, so therefore there are two schools of approach. Uh, the first one is that which we manage directly uh, out of our offices, which are forbidden from doing anything outside of fixed income investing. Uh, so it's a pretty vanilla um, format that we follow there day in and day out to ensure that AAA is uh, the ruler of the day. Uh, we may dip down into AA, even single A, but we don't go below A uh, in anything we invest in. So that's that's one side of it. Uh, the other side that I participate in by law is I'm on the board, the pension board of the county of San Diego. And in that pension board, uh, people do invest. And we invest in uh, myriad numbers of things, um, including equities, including uh, REITs in some cases, uh, but many other things, uh, investment vehicles as well. So we ratchet up the risk a little bit uh, to generate more yield because, remember, we have uh, kind of a target every year. Uh, We have to make sure we have enough money each year to pay the promise of retirement that was made to the uh, workers of the county of San Diego. And that's what we stand by uh, on a regular basis, but we're not without uh, outside advisors there on the um, side of uh, uh, investments. Uh, We do have uh, an investment advisor uh, who works very closely with us each day. Uh, He's in Chicago regularly and we're here, of course. Uh, I'm sure he would rather be here more uh, because of weather uh, considerations right. and other considerations. But that is what it is. And we're very happy with that. And uh, I'd be happy to uh, uh, at least uh, introduce you to uh, our investment team and, uh, and let them uh, uh, decide for themselves and their recommendations what works best for us. We- that is a separate SD Sarah, San Diego uh, Employee Retirement Association.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We, we'd love to do that because you know how, uh, you know, big advocate for the right equities, not doing the crazy things and so forth and always love to help out, you know, charities, the government. I mean, we'd love to, to talk to you more about that. Uh, Dan, I, w- I don't want to take up your whole Saturday here. Uh, I really appreciate you spending the time and hopefully informing uh, the listeners on the property taxes so they feel like, OK, I'm writing this big check here, but it is going to something good. It is a, a good reason. And it's, and it's just uh, I really appreciate you taking the time this morning.
0: Well, once again, thank you and your family and the whole uh, company for doing all you do for the economy of San Diego and helping people to understand what they're investing in and making the right decisions. Well, thank
1: you, Dan. Have a great, uh, great weekend here.
0: You as well. Thank you. You're
1: welcome. Bye-bye. Okay, again, that is Dan McAllister. He is the uh, San Diego uh, County Treasurer Tax Collector. Uh, helpful information there. And, uh, gosh, some big numbers they, they have there to manage. I didn't know they were that large. Uh, did you, Chase? <laughs> Sorry, Sorry about called call mid I, me yeah, I um, got you mid No, yeah,
2: I, I did not know that either. Yeah.
1: All right, uh, let, let's go to the listeners here. Phone number is 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. Let's go out to Lakeside and speak with David. David, you're on the Smart Invest Show, Brent. Chase, how can we help you?
3: Good morning, fellas. Good morning. It's always, always a pleasure to talk to you and get your opinion and thank you for what you do for us. Yeah, I'm looking at a stock called Matterport. It's only been around a few years. They do some 3D uh, camera work for commercial businesses so people can go online and take a look at what they might want to purchase or lease. And uh, I know you don't like to call call it gambling, but I took a position in this, a small one. About six months ago, and it's it's doing well, and I think it's going to grow. But I now I'll get your opinion on it.
1: <laughs> All right. So, so you said you did buy it, or you have not bought it yet?
3: Yeah, <clears throat> I, have, I have bought it.
1: Okay, good. Yeah, because my computer went a little bit slow, just kind of bringing things up here. So let's take a look at uh, MetaPort, symbol is MTTR. Uh, they're in the industry of software application. Uh, no shortness here. No, percentage of float zero. Uh, Unfortunately, institutional ownership only 15.3. You know what, and there's no numbers here at all on the fundamentals, I look down the sheet here. Uh, Valuations, nothing there. Growth, nothing there. Uh, Let's see, we got uh, nothing here. Uh, Oh, here we got got a balance sheet. So okay, current ratio is 1.8, that is okay. It is below the industry at 3.1. Debt to equity, not material. My guess is they have no equity uh, versus 1.2 for the industry. Now, looking at some other numbers, day's inventory outstanding, 81.7 versus 4.2. And you want that lower, not higher. But the day's sales outstanding looks better at 20.6. That's half the industry at 59.9. We do see a net profit margin of a negative 21 versus a positive 4.7. Return equity, well, they do have equity then, uh, 19.6 versus 8.8. Uh, Chase, I'm going to turn it over to you for any numbers going forward. I know this is a, probably a smaller company on the market cap, isn't
2: it? Yeah, well, looking here, I mean, the current price for uh, MTTR Matterport, $22.45. 52-week high, well, that's $23.97. And I see a 52-week low here of $12.90. <clears throat> uh, looking forward for this company, uh, un- unfortunately, I-, I see there is an estimated loss of $0.26. Cents. So, can't derive a target sell price from that. I do see it was up 18% yesterday. So, congrats wow. on that, David. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I I just can't say it's something that we would consider in terms of investing in just because there's, there's no earnings at this point. So, yeah. it, it is, as you kind of alluded to, a little bit of a gamble here um, looking at Matterport. Yeah.
1: So, and I think as long, David, as you know, it is a gamble, <clears throat> you can do it uh ourselves we don't like to gamble because we look at if we lose that money gosh that was money we could have used to invest in a good quality company but i know some people want to have some risk have some excitement uh that probably falls in that category but it's nothing that we would recommend or ever buy in our portfolio all righty
3: yeah i had a feeling that you told me <laughs> it, it's i think i bought it at 14 and it's 22 or 23 now but uh it's just a very small position so i'll I'll take a chance. I know you don't like to hear that, but. (laughs) Well,
1: it's your money, not mine.
3: (laughs) You're right. If I had your money, I'd burn mine. (laughs) Well,
1: well, David, thanks for calling. You have a great weekend.
3: Absolutely. You too, guys.
1: Bye-bye. All right. That does open the phone line 866-577-2473. Let's go out to Oceanside and speak with Carl. Carl, you're in the smart vegetable Rent Chase, how can we help you?
4: Yes, uh, that uh, um, insurance company had a breakout on the chart a few days ago, so I bought it. But it seems to go lower every day. I'm wondering, maybe I should sell it again. What are the fundamentals on that insurance company?
1: Yeah, let's take a look at that for you there. Again, we're talking about WR Berkeley. The symbol is WRB. They are in the insurance, property, and casualty industry. Uh, Not a lot of float going on here on the short side, only 1%, uh, about 70.8% held by institutions. P.E. ratio, 14.4, which is pretty good, but the industry is only 9.7, so they are above the industry. Uh, Price of sales, 1.6, also double the industry of 08 Price to book value, uh, 2.1 versus 2.4. Price to cash flow, 8.6. Again, above the industry at 6.6. The peg ratio, 1.8 is better than the industry at 2.5. Now, we do see on the growth, the earnings were up uh, for one year, 181%. But the whole industry is up 267%. Uh, Five-year growth on those earnings was 11.3 versus 27 Sales growth, 12.8% for the last year versus 6.2. Five-year sales growth is 4.4. That's below the industry at 6.1. Now, we do see the five-year estimated growth from the analysts, 9%, about the same as the industry at 9.1. I do see they pay a small dividend of 0.9%. The only use about 9.8%. They're going to pay that out. Uh, they have grown that uh, dividend. I'm, I don't see how it's so low, but they've grown it uh, at a five-year rate of 8.4%. And then we do see on the balance sheet, that's an insurance company, a little bit different balance sheet here. Uh, debt to equity is uh, 40% versus 30 for the industry. Uh, we do see a net profit margin. <clears throat> uh, I'm sorry, a uh, net profit margin. Oh, no, debt, debt, to, debt to equity, I gave that already. Uh, net profit margin 106 versus 8.8. So I'm not too thrilled with it unless Chase has something good to say here and there, and he's going
2: forward. Yeah, I mean, let's start with the current price here for uh, WR Berkeley, $79.60. 52-week high-well, that's $82.76. And the low, $59.61. I mean, it it is up 21% here, Carl, but it sounds like you bought it after the run-up. And and I I am concerned. I mean, I look forward, December 2022, I see estimated earnings per share of $5.03 gives us a target sell price of just $83.50. So uh, I, I'm going to say when you bought it, I, I don't know if I would have bought it because it, it, it appeared to be fully valued, and now you're kind of in a, a situation where it's just a few percent away from our target sell price. Is it, is it worth holding at this point? I, I can't say I, I I would.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it could move there. You said a few percent away. It could move there. Tomorrow could actually go down more because it already hit the uh, target sell price. And, uh, yeah, it, it, I, I, I would say... Uh, if you haven't already, I would probably would hold and wait for that discipline. Wait till it hits that target sell price, because again, if it goes back up, you're going to be upset. So I would say hold on to it hits that target sell price. Be ready to hit that sell trigger. All ready?
3: Okay, thank you.
1: You're welcome. Have a good one. Bye bye. All right, uh, <clears throat> I was going to go out to Carlos in San Diego. Well, Carlos, hold on. You'll be up next. Uh, right now, it's time to talk to our financial planner, Harrison Johnson, talk about the tax consequences of moving. Well, good morning, Harrison. How you doing?
5: Good morning, guys. I'm calling you to, from Phoenix today. How's it going?
1: Well, good. Good. How's the weather there? Is it kind of warm there? Kind of cold here?
5: It's actually really nice here. It's it's um, really clear, sunny. Not too hot. Now, getting into October and November is a really nice time in Phoenix. It's not hot like it is over the summer, so it's nice. Nice.
1: Good time of year there. So so tell us about the, the tax consequences of moving because we know we are hearing more people kind of moving out of California and so forth. Is that what you're referencing or just moving it in California?
5: Well, it's actually um, interesting that you guys were talking to Dan McAllister earlier because I was going to talk about the income tax part of it, but also the property tax part of it. So I'll let you guys decide which would you rather talk about. You talk about today. What's
1: well, so it the income tax uh, this week? Maybe next week. Do the property tax.
5: Yeah. All right. So on the uh, income tax side, the reason I brought this up is property values all over the place, but especially in Southern California, has really been going up a lot, and so. Um, There's also a lot of people selling and buying new houses, and that's always going to present a tax problem um, on the income side, federal and state. So um, in some cases, there's actually houses that are being bought and sold very quickly. And so on that side, anything that you buy and then sell within 12 months is a short term gain. So it's all ordinary income on the federal side, um, all income on the state side, and then if your AGI or adjusted gross income is over two and a half or $250,000 for a married couple, you have to add another 3.8% Medicare tax. So um, you might have a good size gain in just a couple months from buying a house, but be careful because potentially 35 to 45% of that gain could go to taxes if you decide to flip it or or sell it real quickly or something like that. Um, Once you hold more than a year, now it's a long-term gain, just like a stock or a bond would be. But that still means it's going to be taxable instead of 22 24 32 percent on the federal side it still could be 15 to 20 percent plus fully taxable on the state side maybe 9.3 percent and then still has that 3.8 percent um tax if your agi is over $250,000. so your gain if you hold something over a year and sell it still could be 25 to 35 percent um the next Little threshold is once you hold something longer than two years, if you live in a house for over two years, then you can exclude uh, the first $500,000 of your gain. And so in many cases, this helps out people a lot. They've owned a house for several years, then they can sell it. And a lot of times their gain is not $500,000, so they don't have to worry about the taxes. But it's more and more common where now we're seeing people that have owned houses for a long time, 10, 15 years, they bought it for Four hundred thousand dollars now it's worth one and a half so even with that five hundred thousand dollar exclusion you're still looking at a huge huge capital gain um, tax liability and so my recommendation to everyone out there who owns a house is whenever you do something to that house any upgrades renovations improvements remodels um, new roofs all that stuff you want to make sure you're keeping all your receipts invoices and documentation, because when you do go to sell that house at any time in the future, that will increase your cost basis and ultimately reduce the amount of tax that you have to pay on the sale.
1: And and Harrison, one thing I'm sitting here thinking, you hear these people, oh, I'm flipping houses and so forth. I don't think they're thinking about the tax consequences, are they?
5: I I talked to somebody a week ago who um, was wanting to do that, and then when I explained the tax situation of it, they're like, oh, so if I flip this, I really only get to keep half of the gain because of all the taxes that you have to pay. Yeah, that's that's the way it works.
1: <laughs> so you you got to go that two year threshold before you get that five hundred thousand sc- dollars exclusion,
5: which would not. And be. you have to you have to live in it. So if you're flipping oh. something that's totally investment, then that's all all income, unless you wanted to ten thirty one it to something else, and you could keep going doing that if you want to. But that's a whole different thing.
1: Yeah. And, and, and this is why, again, as a financial planner, when you sit down, you talk to people, you go over these things so they don't make mistakes and then come back later like, oh, I didn't know that was the case.
5: That's right. Darn it, CPA, why am I paying so much in taxes? Well, <laughs> didn't house,
1: so did not plan for it. And I think, unfortunately, I mean, many times people, they look at their CPA where well, they do their taxes. But for a financial planner like yourself, and again, you're a true financial planner, not a a uh, salesman disguised as a financial planner, I'll put it that way, um, to where you guide people through their lives of, of financial decisions to help them not make these decisions, not after the fact.
5: Yeah, I, I tell people what to do before they do something so we understand the impact as opposed to try and mitigate it after it's already been done.
0: Yeah, and
1: and I know you're very busy now in the office. I mean, gosh, you're, you're working like uh, 10 hours a day, it seems like, and so forth. You're, you're there a lot... A lot of people now calling you, but we're still going to give out your phone number. Still going to keep you busy there because you do a lot for, for <laughs> people. We want to help out as many people as we can. So, Harrison, thanks for taking the time today. Uh, I know you're in Phoenix visiting your family, so have a great weekend, and we'll see you Monday morning.
5: Thanks, guys. We'll see you Monday morning.
1: Okay. And um,
2: you forgot to give the phone number for Harrison. Are you oh, gonna, I, always uh, do, I always do when he hangs up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right. Uh, Again, that's Harrison Johnson, our financial planner. Again, he's on a salary. He does not charge commissions or anything else. It's a fee-based financial plan. So if you want to talk to somebody that's unbiased, you can call the office, 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. You can also visit the website. Send them an email there. uh, Website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. And yes, the secret is out. I mean, a lot of people say, I mean, he's getting now so many referrals and people sit down and say, gosh, no person I've ever talked to has done the extensive financial planning that you do. He is phenomenal. That's why we hired him. He's, he's just great. So uh, get him now while you can, because I think a year from now, I, I hope he can only do so many financial yeah. plans. So we'll we'll have to find another Harrison Johnson, but for now, he's the man. Yep. So. <laughs> All righty. Uh, let's go out. to. Uh, let's see. Phone numbers here. 866-577-2473. That's 866 five seven seven two four seven three let's go out to san diego and speak with carlos carlos you're in the smart Investor Brent chase how can we help you out
4: yes good morning good morning how are you how's everybody everybody's good how about you all right right, pretty good good uh a little overcast overcast today but that's fine it'll clear up as usual
1: yes (laughs) yes that's true
4: (laughs) Uh, my question is kind of a two-part question more on the economy uh uh, the I guess the easy question is, are, is your firm putting out a forecast for fourth quarter, for this year? fourth quarter, you know, reporting January, I guess, 2020-2022? And second part of the question is, You are the variables for the fourth quarter, the economic variables, indicator variables, are they substantially different than the variables, than the third quarter, and would you say they're Stormy, you know, kind of more stormy, more negative than positive, the variables for the fourth quarter, and that's kind of a tie-in for the the two-part question.
1: Well, we'll have to go back to the office and look at our crystal ball, see what we have there. We do have a crystal ball in our office. The only... Financial advisory firm, I believe, has a crystal ball. But uh, anyways, I mean, uh, one thing we're kind of looking at, and then we also do, too, to to try to keep people posted, uh, is we do a lot on social media. So we don't do, like, a quarterly report or so forth because we kind of – and things change. So we keep people informed that way. We also do the YouTube um, as well.
2: And we have a smart investing blog that uh, – can keep people informed on that as well. So we, yeah, as Brent said, we don't have a, a uh, report necessarily on the Q4, but uh, I can tell you we definitely have an opinion yes, on yes. what Q4 will look like. So. And,
1: and what's kind of nice is that it does kind of change and so forth. And what we're seeing now is we're seeing earnings from companies coming out. And the the businesses, the equities that we owe, we, we read the conference calls, we understand what's going on, we look at the financial statements. Um, it's kind of changed a little bit because we're hearing things from companies, and we're not surprised by this, that they're having difficulty with – Shortages, supply shortages, and inflation, and labor. I mean, so these things are happening, which is kind of changing the fourth quarter because I'm getting a little bit concerned that maybe the fourth quarter won't be as good as we expected because we are having problems. Now, we'll get through these problems. I'm not saying sell everything, but I'm saying you we may not have the great fourth quarter we were hoping for because it seems to be some problems are coming up and becoming— more serious than maybe we thought.
2: And I'm going to take the, <coughs> somewhat of the opposite side of the coin there, Carlos. I, I, I think it's really going to come down to supply. I mean, yeah. I mean, the demand side of the, the equation is there. there. There's no question about that. There's so much money in the economy. I was listening to a conference call on the way in. It was another auto company, not Tesla, uh, talking about <coughs> just the demand for their vehicles. Yeah. And they said, we're selling everything that we can build. If we could build more, our sales <laughs> would be higher. Right. And that was the second conference call I listened to that, the issue was not the demand side, it was the supply side. And another chip maker looking at saying, we're selling everything that we can build. And I, I think if we can get a little bit improvement in terms of supply and the transportation, I think the transportation is going to be the key factor. I think you're going to see a booming holiday season. I think you're going to see a very strong Q4, but is that going to be plausible? I, I think it, that is the the issue that we are seeing. And I still think, don't get me wrong. I think we're gonna have a strong Q4. Right. I, I I really do. I think next year we're gonna see. Uh, you kind of talk about January, February. I still think we're gonna see some strength in, in the first quarter of next year. I don't think you're see obviously <laughs> the same growth rates that we've seen this year as we're comparing against the pandemic. But I, I, I don't see the economy having drastic drac- drastic problems at this time because of the amount of liquidity in the system.
1: Yeah, and Carlos, I guess what I was saying too is I as I agree with you, Chase um because the demand is definitely there i am worried that the supply will not be there which will cause some type of not as much growth as we were kind yeah. of hoping for so it's, it's not gonna there. be yeah it's not gonna be like oh my gosh you know it's gonna be terrible but it's not gonna be as good as it could be just said uh, companies are saying we can sell everything we make promise we can't make enough to you know fulfill the demand which is you a good know, problem to
2: have it sounds like you, you might want to consider getting yourself a good transportation company yes here. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so and and again and things will change. We'll fix this problem. We all know about the problem with the supply or, or, or the, the ship the ships outside of LA. I guess now it's like hundred ships and so forth. They will figure that out. I'm, I'm actually on a, a national channel on Monday, BNC, talking about how we're going to fix this. Uh, I think there's some things we can do, but it takes time. So w- we will get through this problem, and that's why again we always talk about investing in the good quality businesses because maybe they'll drop a little bit, maybe five ten percent. But they will resolve this. They'll come back through, and then they go up twenty percent beyond that. So we're not saying sell. We're saying okay, we're going to have some bumps along the road. So be prepared.
2: And I will say too, Carlos, there's always problems out there. There's yeah. never a, a perfect, uh, you know, situation that you're going to see. So uh, you know, you are going to hear headwinds. I mean, that's just the nature of business. That's the nature of the economy. Um, but overall, to answer your question short, I, I do think we'll see a good Q4. Will it be as strong as initially anticipated? I, I I agree with Brent. I I don't think it will be as strong as initially anticipated, but I still think it will be a good Q4. I think holiday season is going to be very strong as people want to get back and celebrate with one another after taking a year off last year.
1: Yeah. Does that help you out there, Carlos?
4: Very good. Yes, it does. Thank you very much.
1: And be sure to go to our website for the blog there, uh, smartinvesting2000.com.
4: All Oh, Thank you. All right. You're welcome. Bye now.
1: Bye-bye. All right, let's quickly go out to Rose in San Diego. Rose, you're on The morning. Best Show Brent Chase. How can we help you out?
0: Thank
4: you. Well, I'm calling about Home Depot. It's not in my retirement account, so I'm wondering whether or not I should sell some. It's up 500% because I've had it a long
0: time, and it's about 200000 and it's maybe oh, 5% of my um, port- portfolio.
1: Oh, okay. Well, uh, let's see. I my my screen just went kind of crazy on me. I
2: didn't go to the numbers. Uh, I was short of time. So, Chase, I don't know if you can pull up Home Yeah, Depot. yeah I can yeah. look at Home Depot real quick for you here, Rose. I want to make sure we get that answered. So let's take a look at Home Depot. I think people know they are the home improvement retail. We all know Home Depot. Uh, short percentage of float here, only 1%, so not that large in terms of the short percentage. Institutional ownership, about 72%. Let's turn the valuations. And this is one thing that has worried me on Home Depot as of late. Price to earnings, 26.2 compared to an industry average of 25.1. Price to sales, well, that's 2.8. Again, above the industry average, of 2.2. And I'm just shocked by this. Price to book, over 100 times, which compares to the industry of 26.6. And I do know Home Depot's equity has declined very, very drastically. I think they bought back a lot of stock. But I don't like to see that that low equity level. Price to cash flow, that's 28.6 compared to the industry average of 25. The peg doesn't look bad, though. I, I'm surprised on this. as it's 2.6 compared to the industry average of 6.1. We have seen earnings per share climb over the one-year time frame to 30%. <coughs> over the last five years, it's averaged an increase of 19%, which compares to the industry average of 22. Sales over the one-year time frame up 21%, while the industry was up Again, the equivalent amount of 21%. <coughs> Looking at the five-year estimated EPS growth, well, that's 10.6%. I'm not sure what the analysts are anticipating on this. I thought we've already had this housing boom, but maybe they do see more home improvement coming down the line. I, I think that is an elevated uh, estimate, to be quite frank. Uh, dividends, you do get a 1.8% yield. The company uses 44.2% of their earnings to pay that out. The uh, company has bought back stock. Their buyback yield, 1.7%. So they are shareholder-friendly, I would say. Now let's turn to the balance sheet. Uh, wow, current ratio, 1.1. 1. 1. Good liquidity there, but I will point out the quick ratio, point four, a little low. But I w- I'm shocked by this. Uh, debt to equity, I'm trying to do the numbers in my head here. It's 2,050% hmm. is what we're looking at. I, that is huge, and I, I know a lot of that stems from The stock buybacks and a low equity, but I would want to take a closer look at that. Uh, Current price here, uh, let me talk the profit margin real quick here. The profit margin for the company, 10.6 above the industry average, 8.7. So we know Home Depot (laughs) is a strong company in terms of its earning potential. But the uh, current price here, 371.74, 52-week high, 375.15, and 52-week low, 246.59. So it's up 42% this year. I'm shocked by that, to be honest, because I know I had a good year last year as well. But moving forward for Home Depot, I see January 2023 estimated earnings per share. Well, that's $15.11, would give us a target sell price of $250.83. Again, well below the $371.74. I know you said it's held in a taxable account there as just 5%, but I I would look at pairing that back depending yeah. on your tax situation there, Rose. Um it, it is very, very pricey. Uh, worry about some of the other aspects with it as well. I, I, I can't say I'm a fan of Home Depot at these levels.
1: Great company, just too pricey. Yes. All right, Rose. Well, there's our closing bell. Thank you for listening to the Smart Investing Show. It is for information on purpose only and should not be used as investment advice. If you'd like to discuss in more detail your investment needs have other investment questions, feel free to call myself Brent Wilsey or Chase Wilsey at 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. And visit our website, smartinvesting2000.com. Smartinvesting2000.com. A lot of great information there. And for more daily educational information, a lot of investing tips, go to our Facebook page, Smart Investing with Brent Chase Wilson. Have a great weekend. We'll talk more next week, right here on the Smart Investing Show.
3: Late, I did all that. And may I say.
0: This program is sponsored by Wilsey Asset Management.